came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. And in New York, we're waiting for the Easter Parade, the traditional one on Fifth Avenue. We have a great show for you today. We have Mario Economo giving us an update on what's going on in Europe. Dr. Peter Michalos living longer. Uh, John Bolton, the ambassador about uh, Europe and uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Gordon Chang, what's going on in the Far East and in China? So many things happening. Mr. Alex Cicciano, the National Association of Broadcasting, they're trying to get rid of AM radio. What is that all about? <clears throat> and we have an exclusive at the beginning. We have Yuri Feinberg, and he is an author, and his brother is one of Putin's best friends. So what's going on in Russia? This is an exclusive. Let's start with that. With us today is Yuri Feinberg, uh, and he's an author. He's from the Soviet Union. He left the Soviet Union in 1979, and he, he has a book called The Child of Gulag. And why are we doing this interview? Well, his mother and uh, Vladimir Putin's mother grew up together. They were in the same building. They were, uh, and the friendships have continued. So this is going to be interesting. Uh, good, good morning, uh, Yuri. How are you this morning? Uh, good morning, John. I'm fine. Thank you. Now, uh, tell us, uh, you grew up, uh, your mom and uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's mom grew up together in the same building? Yeah, we all lived in the same building in, in St. Petersburg. It's the Baskov Lane. And uh, we, uh, Putin, a little younger than me, I remember him as a child. Um, and our mothers were friends. My mother just uh, finished medical school. She became a doctor. So for a couple of years, we were, uh, they were family friends. And uh, I understand your brother is still close to uh, the, uh, President Putin, and they talk on occasion? They they are very close. Uh, in fact, Putin is the godfather of two of my nephews. And when 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 Putin became president, he took most of his uh, friends. Uh, he was practicing judo, so from the judo club, he took most of his friends with him to Moscow to have loyal people around him. And one of them one of them was my my brother who also relocated from St. Petersburg to Moscow. Um, and um, they continued the relationship and still pretty close. Now, before we get to talking about your book, l let's talk about a lot of the American people want the truth of what's going on uh, in Russia right now. Uh, I had my own opinions on uh, Putin, 
My opinion on Putin was that he had preferred to be a member of the European community, that he preferred to be closer to the European uh, Europeans rather than be close uh, to the Chinese. Uh, do you have an opinion on that? Yes, that was the original intent. Unfortunately, it didn't work out the way he uh, he, he planned. What went wrong? And, well, the first of all, the Crimea. I mean, people really misunderstand what happened with Crimea. I mean, the official uh, uh, Russian version, and actually, it's the it's factual that the majority of the Crimean population. Uh, is, was, and is Russian. I would say between 70 and 80 percent of the Crimean population are Russians who wanted to be uh, with Russia. So it was a referendum. Uh, it was not a. So when you referred, the, Amer the American people don't understand the word Crimea. When you refer to Crimea, is that part of the Ukraine? It's a peninsula uh, in the Black Sea that was always part of Russia until Nikita Khrushchev. The older people probably remember him. Woke up one morning and said, "Oh, oh Crimea should be Ukraine," and he gave it to Ukraine, just like that. You know, the Crimean people woke up one morning in the sixties and they realized that they are no longer in Russia. But the Crimea, which is part of that Black Sea area where Russia has taken over, was always part of Russia. Uh, and uh, uh, President Putin is taking that position that it was always part of Russia. He is always is always part not, well not only part of Soviet Union it was a part of the Russian Empire. We're going back hundreds of years. The Crimea was always part of Russia. Um, so he Putin felt that he was uh, correcting the historical injustice, and and according to the wishes of the Crimean people, they wanted to be part of Russia. And, and that's what happened. And after that, the relationship with the West went down. Of this total misunderstanding. Um, unfortunately, we here in the West don't really understand uh, how how the rest of the world works, especially the United States, being a young country. Uh, we don't have the historical, uh, uh, you know, references like like the, the rest of the world. Thousands of years of relationships. So we, we totally misunderstood what, what, what took place. And um, that's unfortunate. And like I said, the relationship went down the hill and we ended up where we ended up now. So now he has no choice because Russia became international pariah. And now the, the, the only handful of countries, uh, uh, the China, India, Turkey, Middle East, those are the only countries that, that support him. I understand. Uh, so, tell us about uh, uh, tell us about Russia today. Obviously, you, you, uh, uh, your brother is very close to President Putin, and you talk to your brother. And uh, what do, what's going on in Russia itself? There are several parts to my to my answer. Number one, um, your your assistant asked me this question when we were talking about uh, Putin and his demeanor. First of all, yeah, he is paranoid, and, and that, that comes from the inter inside sources. Uh, people call him Mini Stalin. He, he's, he has this problem with, with being isolated, and very limited number of people have access to him. He stays away from his cabinet, and, and only maybe, a, maybe half a dozen people have access to him. It's true. I guess the enormous power that he, he has, 
that's the trick. Is, is your is your brother part of those half a dozen people? He's close. He's probably a second circle. He doesn't advise him. He's a businessman, actually. He's not a politician. He doesn't advise him on the affairs. But they're friends. Close. They're just it's friends. It's all a family, yes. family ties. Because he's a he's a godfather of my two nephews. Understood. And, and, and they're very close. Yeah. What is it going to take to make peace in the world? I mean, uh, the, 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 the Russian people are suffering, the Ukrainian people are suffering, and they're part Russian too. What is the problem here? What, what does it take to make peace? And, and I understand uh, the Russian point of view is Khrushchev made a mistake. And yes. that that area is is eighty percent Russian and should be part of Russia. That's the that's the Russian position. Exactly, that's the Russian position, and most of the Russian people that uh, I know of uh, I totally agree uh, that the Crimea belongs belongs to Russia, and, and and the Crimean people are very very happy now. They can, economically they much better off now than they used to be, and. Uh, my friends who live in Crimea are very happy with what took place. Can, can we make a peace if, if the Russians, if Putin can keep that Crimea because it's eighty percent Russian, but give the but give the Ukraine access to the Black Sea? That way, that way it becomes a business transaction, and everybody's happy. Well, the, as far as the Crimean affair, it's it's a fait accompli. It's not going to go back. I mean, yes. it doesn't matter what who would said, said what. The, obviously, the only issue remains to stop the war because that was that was very unexpected. Even people like like me, who basically was defending his action when he put the troops around ukrainian border to prevent them to to become the members of the nato because his job is to defend his country he didn't want the the rockets in ukraine aimed at, at moscow so he was trying to put some pressure on the international community to to prevent ukraine becoming the members of the of the of the nato but Going inside, it was not expected. And, and even people who close to him were shocked when it happened. Um, so, so it was, uh, it, was it, it just totally stuff uh, in the in America. We call it crap happens sometimes. Uh, uh, we're going to run out of time, and I want to have more discussions with you. Uh, but I uh -huh. want to give the benefit of telling you about your book, and we'll, maybe we'll have another discussion next week. Uh, I would love to. Yes. But uh, tell me, your book is available uh, on Amazon, and it's called... It's on Amazon. It's freely available. It's called The Child of Gulag. And, Gulag, uh, spelled G-U-L-A-G. You're the author, yes. Yuri Feinberg, F-E-Y-N-B-E-R-G. F-E-Y. F-E-Y. F-E-Y-N-B-E-R-G. Yeah, and... and um, the Gulag is an acronym for the for the State Department of Prisons. Actually, that's what it stands for. And you were there as a child, and your mother was a doctor. Yeah, that's and she grew and she and, grew up with with uh, Putin's mother. Yes, Yuri, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk again next week. And uh, God bless you, and may we have peace in the world. Thank you, John. Call me anytime.
You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Mario Economo, a banker from from Zurich, New York, uh, Philadelphia, London, all over the place. And uh, he's our in-house expert of what's going on in Europe. And uh, Mario, it's Easter weekend in Europe. Uh, It must be quiet. Uh, Give us an update. What is going on? Let's wish, wish a happy Passover to our Jewish friends and a happy Easter to our Christian Catholic friends. You and I celebrate Easter next weekend, so I'll wish you a happy Easter then. Uh, so let's talk about what's going on. You're right, it's very quiet. It is, it is Easter, but there are a lot of developments, and anybody who's been following what's going on with respect to the global agenda will see that there have been some major events that have taken place over the last 30 days which do not bode well both for the United States and especially for the European Union. Uh, I will continue to say that the European Union will come out the biggest loser uh, with respect to the Russian invasion into the Ukraine. And whereas at the beginning I thought the United States would come out the biggest winner, it's now beginning to look more and more like China will will come out the biggest winner. Out of roughly the 1.2 billion people who inhabit in what we'll call the liberal democracies, our part of the world, about 75% now hold a negative view of China and of Russia. If you look at 1.3 billion sitting on the other side, meaning the non-liberal democracies, we can call them that, roughly 70% of those people feel positive about China and Russia and not about the U.S. or Europe. That does not bode well when such a large percentage of the world population does not support Europe or the U.S., and it can only get worse from this point forward. Uh, we've now seen that uh, France, uh, total energy especially, has for the first time LNG to China in Chinese yuan, Chinese currency. This was unheard of. It's now happening. Uh, we know that um, uh, uh, Europe, Mr. Orban of Hungary, is close to deciding on whether or not they're going to be sending peacekeeping troops to the Ukraine. That, of course, would not be a good thing. That would only escalate the existing war and allow it to spread into other parts of Europe. So I'm not sure what the Europeans are thinking. I can assure you, as a European, the majority of us in Europe do not support sending any troops to the Ukraine and do not support escalating this war. There are some people and some governments that do, we know that, but the majority of us do not want a an armed confrontation with the Russians. We also know in other parts of the world, for example in Kenya, they are now starting to buy petroleum products from Saudi Arabia with their own currency, Kenyan shillings. We also know that um, the BRIC countries which we've already discussed, they're developing a new digital currency, Are we have applications in from many other countries, including Mexico, of all places, and who Brazil. are interested in joining them. And Brazil, I understand, is making a deal to do it in the one. Yes, Brazil and China now are settling trades in their own currencies, and they're no longer using the U.S. dollar. They're completely is, bypassing Is Washington on the verge of screwing up the world currency market? Well, it depends on what you mean by screwing up the world currency market. It looks like um, our side doesn't care, and the other side is 
lack of interest than actually moving ahead and settling trades in their own respective and local currencies. Uh, uh, in uh, the, in uh, Brazil, for example, which you just mentioned, we know that the Chinese yuan has actually surpassed the euro and it's become Brazil's second largest currency in foreign reserves. That would have been unheard of not too long ago. I mean, three to four years ago, we would have never thought we would see something like this happening, and yet, in fact, it is. It's incredible how quickly the uh, uh, the uh, everything is shifting in the geopolitical sphere at the moment. Saudi Arabia is playing a big role. It has now, we know, joined a trade alliance with China, Russia, India, Pakistan, and, other, and four other Central Asian uh, nations. They're moving away from their reliance on the U.S. dollar. They're actually building, Aramco is building a large oil refinery in China. Uh, these are very, very big shifts. Uh, and there is something else that happened uh, late this past week, and that was a trip by France's President Macron and the European Commission President von der Leyen to China. That was an interesting trip because we know that President Macron has consistently said dialogue with Russia needs to continue, and he's consistently said that China needs to be an important and an integral part of trade with Europe. The European Commission president, for her part, however, has signaled and said that if China does decide to arm Russia to provide them with munitions and other types of military supplies, this will mark the beginning of the end of the trade relationship with Europe. Uh, as a European, I find those statements alarming, and I will tell you why. If you look at the company Mercedes-Benz, roughly one in every two cars were sold by Mercedes in China. They sold in the U.S. Their revenues were roughly $13.5 billion, and they grew by 6%. In China, their revenues were $8.2 billion, but they grew by 25%. So clearly a company like Siemens sees the future of growth in China. If we look at, for example, the uh, Airbus company, Airbus has just announced in the visit that they went uh, with President to China that they're going to be setting up second final assembly line in China, and this is going to allow them to double their production capacity in that country. So clearly all these large businesses are now flocking to China, they're trying to uh, desperately set up operations in China. China is taking advantage of the situation. It's allowing them to set up in China, and it's happy to continue trading with them. But more importantly, China is not concerned about the European Commission President's statement that if it decides to arm Russia, Europe will no longer trade with it and reassess its relationship with it. Because the Chinese know that at the end of the day, Europe going to rely too heavily on the Chinese market. we got a minute left. It, it, what, what else do you want to tell the American people? Here we are. Easter Sunday. We're, we're in deep crisis, economic crisis created by oil. Uh, we're, we're, we're in so many problems going on uh, in America. Um, give me the bottom line. We have a minute left. And the war. Europe needs to sit down at the table with the Russians and the Ukrainians. This war needs to end. This war is going to have a horrible, horrible impact on the life of many of the Europeans, on businesses in Europe. Unless a solution is reached and fast, China will fill the void. Europe will have no choice but to continue trading with China. 
and America uh, will essentially have a Rust Belt sitting in Europe that it's going to be responsible for. This is not good for America, and it's worse for Europe. So the Americans, along with the Europeans, need to sit down with the Russians. They need to reach an agreement. There is a G20 in India in September. Let's all pray that, in fact, everybody comes to their senses, meets there, sits down around the table, reaches an agreement to end this war. Well, you agree. I agree. Thank you so much, uh, Mario Konomu, and uh, have a good holiday weekend uh, because uh, we celebrate all holidays, and what the heck, you know? Uh, and uh, we'll yes, catch absolutely. up. absolutely. Thank you, and enjoy your Sunday. Thank you. God bless you. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos, and uh, he's with us almost every week, and he's going to tell us what do we have to do to live longer. Don't forget, we'd like to take the average age in America to 100 and Dr. Peter Michalos, good morning. Happy Catholic Easter. And I understand next week is the Orthodox Easter because the Orthodox always follow the Orthodox Jews. Absolutely. We follow the history of the calendar. Passover happened first, and a week later happens the uh, Greek Orthodox Christian Easter that we all celebrate. And uh, all the holidays are great, and we all celebrate and try to be good people and living healthy and during all these holidays too people do a lot of fasting uh, which we always talk about on wabc turns out to be one of the healthiest biological resets that we can do as humans and it costs nothing to do but today we're going to talk about since you mentioned life expectancy and for men right now in the united states it's dropped to 74.2 years for women it's still around 80 and the average age is 76 for americans whereas other countries uh, in Europe, for example, like Portugal, it's like 83. So we want to talk about things that we can do to try to help. But first, we want to understand the relationship between stress and longevity and health span. And we know now through a very large uh, multi-thousand person Finnish study that they did at their equivalent of the National Institute of Health and Welfare in Finland, that the biggest cause of shorter life expectancy for men starting at age 30, they followed them till the time of their death, was smoking. And the other one is poorly controlled diabetes. So controlling your blood sugar throughout your lifetime is very important. And if you are diabetic, you have to really control it because that affects your lifespan. They also showed smoking in the study that they followed thousands of people cut 6.6 years off your life. And the uncontrolled diabetes can, can, can knock you out by 6.5 years off. So that's why, again, it's important to control it. And being under continued constant stress, that shortens your lifespan by 2.8 years. But uh, And also add to that lack of exercise cuts it another 2.4 years. But on a happy note, eating fruits and vegetables added 1.4 years in this survey of all these people. The other interesting finding was that they found that having stress that others in your community are all having at the same time does not reduce your life expectancy, but having more stress than the other people in your community, um, that will definitely have an effect on your uh, lifespan and shorten it. So, you know, in summary, when it comes to lifespan, it's shown that smoking, alcohol abuse, lack of exercise, and unhealthy diet are the biggest risk factors. But stress basically when we were evolving, we had to have stress if we saw a large animal or we were being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. We would put on what's called the fright or flight mechanism. So fight or flight was you either going to sit there and fight in a the corner or flight means you're going to run as fast as you can. 
But when we're under chronic low-level stress, those same hormones like adrenaline you need to accelerate your heart, to strengthen your muscles, and your cortisol levels all shoot up when you're under stress. And it can be psychological stress at work, in a business, you know, watching uh, the economy these days, watching the price of oil, watching all these different things, being in areas where safety, you don't feel physically safe when you're walking around your community. In the ancient times, it was uh, animals or other people from other caves and other tribes. But now, you know, the fear puts out even inflammatory things like C-reactive protein, homocysteine levels go up, which we can now actually measure with blood tests. And some of the symptoms of stress are your irritable, you're angry, you get nervous, afraid, depressed, and you also lose your sense of humor. And long-term stress, we now know, affects high blood pressure because when your adrenaline is up, your vessels are constricting and your blood pressure goes up. And when your blood pressure goes up, your heart has to pump harder and your heart has to work harder and that puts strain on the heart. And also, you get more strokes because your blood is actually running thicker. Why? Because when you think you're about to be attacked or you're under stress, your body puts out chemicals to increase clotting to stop a potential stabbing, a bleeding, or getting bitten by a wild animal. And that contributes to the cascade of clotting and stroke and also more inflammation in the arteries. For women, they have to be more careful when they're postmenopausal because something called estrogen, which is a hormone which is protective of their uh, blood vessels starts going down, so postmenopausal women tend to have uh, more heart disease. So what we need as a, a country is more education is needed to help to make people make better lifestyle choices. And overall, women are smarter, and they tend to make better lifestyle choices, and that's why they tend to live longer throughout the, the world. Anything else uh, would you like to tell on Easter Sunday? Well, I'd like to wish... Uh, Everyone, a happy, healthy Easter. Try to make healthy choices in your meal. Try to have a goal of eating at least 20 vegetables a week of different colors. Try to eat what I call the rainbow because the different colors are rich in polyphenols and healthy uh, chemicals that help us to uh, live longer. Try to minimize your use of sugar because we now know that sugar turns out to uh, feed cancer cells and feed a lot of metabolic diseases and it goes right to our belly to the refrigerator there so that's why things like uh, fasting during the holidays are a good thing to reset our uh, health and uh, try to have mobility try to do some exercise whatever you can do even just walking and stay healthy and continue listening to uh, WABC and the great programming that you provide every day to keep people safe smart and healthy welcome back hi it's lou dobbs for priority gold america's precious metals dealer these are volatile times with high inflation soaring debt wars on multiple continents and rising financial stress central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves so are many americans call priority gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio they're highly rated and happy to help call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at prioritygoldguide.com that's PriorityGoldGuide.com. Back to the Cats Roundtable. Not three times on the ceiling. 
In times of emergency, AM radio could be your only source of information. Tesla and several other car companies are getting rid of AM radio. AM radio is a part of the emergency alert system. Certain auto manufacturers have dropped AM radio. Write your representative now. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM radio. Sign the petition. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM radio. Radio. Our next guest, before we get to our next guest, Alex Siciliano, who is the vice president of the National Broadcasts Association. Alex, tell us about AM radio and what's going on and the attack on AM radio. Yeah, what we're seeing, and, and Ford is just one of the latest car companies to do it, but we're seeing a slow trend of the AM radio being stripped from the auto dashboard. Um, and it's Ford, as you mentioned, is the latest company to do that. It originally started with the electric vehicle line of cars, and it's now moved over to their combustion engine cars, um, and which is obviously of great concern to our membership, which is local broadcasters from across the country, uh, as AM radio has 82 million monthly listeners. And it's not just in small and rural, mar- rural markets, but it's also in major cities, such as where you guys are in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Boston. And it's part yeah. of FEMA. Exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's, not only do Americans depend on it for news and entertainment, it's the backbone of our nation's emergency alert system, which was set up in the late 1990s. About 77 AM radio stations can reach 90% of the population. Um, and these are stations that have investments from FEMA with generators and other infrastructure so that in the event uh, of a natural disaster or some sort of attack, the president would be able to reach. Is this Americans a breakdown? Is this, you know, does, we've been talking all morning. We had the assistant secretary of the Air Force on before. Is this an attack on America? You know, the, the, the invasion from the borders, uh, the fentanyl coming in from the borders, the, inv- the attacks on our education system. Now, Part of our security system for, for America is the AM radios that can play anywhere. Like you said, 96% of America are on this emergency broadcasting system. And, and, you know, I, I wrote in a Tesla, a Uber Tesla the other day, and there's a button you have to push to open the door. Suppose there's, it's not a, there's no electricity. What button? Is, how are you going to get out of the car? Exactly. And, and we've heard from we just at the National Association of Broadcasters, we just launched our Depend on AM radio campaign uh, at the beginning of this week, dependonam.com. Uh, we urge you to go there. There's a tool there for uh, folks to reach out to their members of Congress and urge them to work with automakers to keep this in the car here. But we've, we've heard from countless people this week that have already written in as part of this campaign saying that when the power goes out, they go to their car. Because, as you say, that's the only place for electricity. That's the only place for information. Alex, let me just, a very simple question. Why? Why is Ford doing this? Why is Tesla doing this? What is, in your estimation, the motivation behind this? So what they say, and, and this is true, is that there is a interference issue on the electric vehicles, which is, as I say, where this started. And there's an interference issue with the cabling. And some companies have opted out altogether. Other companies... Uh, like Chrysler and Jeep, have used shielded high-voltage cables and connectors to cut down on the interference or moving the radio receivers further away. You know, I I think the best we can surmise is that they're just trying to save a few bucks, right? And obviously that adds up over time. Um, You know, and as as we've said at the NAB, our industry has been somewhat fragmented, and some of this has been an education campaign of us meeting with our counterparts in the auto industry to share just the popularity and the vast reach that AM radio has. And, and so um, 
you know, we're working every day here to, to fight back, and we've, we've got some strong allies in Congress here in Washington, D.C. that are, that are working well, the fight with us as well. You know, and we had uh, – last week I had Vice President Pence in the, uh, in the studio, and uh, uh, he was concerned about not having it. Hold on. I, even, I think I have it here. Here's former Vice President Mike Pence about AM radio. Making sure that these new electric vehicles include FM and AM as well as all the other new technology, I think, is a real priority for the free flow of information in America. Write your representative today. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM radio. Sign the petition. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM radio. Well, you know, uh, everybody is concerned. Uh, FEMA is concerned. And, and I think it's part of the attack on America. And it just, uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, what else can we do? You know what else I did? We have a big companies, a lot of big companies. And we have maybe a thousand company cars. Who knows how many? I lost track of how many we have. I'm going to put out an executive order for, for my companies. Don't buy any more Ford cars, full stop. Yeah, and I think that's what part of this has been about educating these auto manufacturers of what they are doing and what the public and consumers are going to be missing uh, when they go to, to make these purchases. We can, at the NAB here, we commissioned a worldwide study with a few of our partners within the last year or two showing that when folks go to buy a car, 8 and 10 are less likely to buy a new car if it does not include AM radio. So this technology... As much as some would like to say it's antiquated, it's a thing of the past. It's extremely, extremely popular with the American people. And I think it's incumbent upon many, like you're saying, to show the automakers how, just how popular it is. Two, some of our strongest allies in Congress are actually Democrats. Uh, Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts wrote a letter to 20 auto manufacturers, really holding, holding their feet to the fire, requesting responses and saying, this is an extremely important technology uh, that needs to be kept. And we've seen the same thing with your guys' neighbor over in New Jersey, Representative Dottheimer, sending letters to the automakers as well, sending, uh, working with the National Highway Tra- Transportation Safety Administration to say this is a safety tool that, you know, just like a seatbelt or yep. a rearview mirror or anything else that goes in the car, this needs to stay. So I- I've heard that, Andrew. I-, I think right now we're seeing a groundswell of bipartisan support on both sides of the aisle to say keep this in the That's car. That's good to hear. Well, thank you so much, Alex. We're going to fight the war together. All Americans are going to fight the war because our country is under attack in many, many directions. And uh, God bless you and God bless America. Thank you. You know, let's talk to I, I, I just see the on the we got Ambassador John Bolton on. We do. Just bring him on. All Enough right. Me. We need some more let's common get somebody sense. Somebody smarter than me. Well, I don't know. You're pretty smart, John. But let's yeah. bring in Ambassador John Bolton. How are you, Ambassador? I'm fine. Glad to be with you. Hello to everybody. You know, what about... John, always good to hear from you. I'm going to start with where we just ended off here with John. Why are there not more people picketing and saying, opening the spigots? Think about how different everything would be, especially even Russia, Ukraine. Russia would have no leverage if we were producing. They would have no money to pay uh, the, the, the troops. The war machine. Oh, it's uh, it's unbelievable. The administration is just determined to fuel the entire economy on algae and uh, solar and wind. And, you know, people, I think uh, average citizens fully understand that the, the growth of the economy, the strength of the economy is directly correlated to energy. And there's just not enough energy out there if you don't use oil and gas. It's really very simple. It is very simple. Go ahead, Rudy Washington. Ambassador, it's Rudy Washington. Could you uh, give us an idea 
of what's going on with these countries coalescing against us, uh, Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, North Korea, Well, uh, it's Russia. the evil empire all over again. The yeah, ones you used to see in the James Bond movies. And China at the helm. And China at the yeah, helm. It's like it's like the Cold War, except this time China is the senior partner. I think that was the significance of Xi Jinping's recent visit to Moscow, uh, and and really China has been supporting Russia in the war in Ukraine from the beginning. They'll expect the same from Russia if they go after Taiwan. They've got rogue states uh, like Iran and North Korea that support terrorists and are seeking nuclear weapons. I mean, this this is a real danger, and and I just think. Uh, uh, people in the country are not yet fully aware of how serious a threat this is. We we need we need to have a discussion about it because everywhere you look, from TikTok to nuclear weapons. What do we do with China? Because uh, the big developments today, and everybody we're talking to, of course, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, um, is China is now having ships uh, encircling Taiwan as we speak. They also said they're going to inspect any ships that come into the Taiwan Strait. Uh, They are furious that Kevin McCarthy and others are meeting with the Taiwanese president in America. And also Mike McCall and a whole bunch of others have a bipartisan delegation. They're in Taiwan. Where do you see this going? Well, I think this is bluffed by China uh, in in the current circumstances. But the real threat is there. Nobody should be under any uh, illusions about that. Let me just say on behalf of Kevin McCarthy, he, he didn't do anything that any reasonable person in the world could complain about. He's, he's, he holds an office mentioned in the Constitution, only one of three, president and vice president being the other two. Uh, he's entitled to meet with whomever he wants to on American soil. No foreign power has the right to tell us, particularly the Speaker of the House, who to meet with. He met with Tsai Ing-wen, the president of Taiwan, with a bipartisan group of members of the House of Representatives. Uh, so I, I just think it's outrageous that uh, Beijing is complaining. And as for Mike McCall, the chairman of the House Foreign uh, Affairs Committee, he is there with a bipartisan delegation of House members. Uh, and I think it's their perfect right to go there. This is, you know, the Chinese are trying to bully us. They're trying to intimidate us. They're trying to deter us. They're trying to create a pretext for a crisis in the hopes we won't stand by Taiwan and, and its vital importance to uh, to us as a trading partner and in particular as a manufacturer of critical chips for computer and information technology. So I think the Chinese are pushing in the wrong direction. They ought to get their balloons out of our airspace. Uh, and I, I think I think we're playing this right at the moment. Ambassador, good to talk to you again. I want to ask you about this White House report that came out blaming the Trump administration for the, the Biden administration disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. What do you say about and, that? And blame the Afghanis. Everybody but Everybody, everybody but, but the Biden administration. Right. Yeah. Well, I've, I've read it only very quickly, but but in my, in my quick read of it, uh, uh, they do blame the Trump administration. And I would say this. What they say is they came in on January the 20th and there were no plans uh, really for the evacuation that would come if and when the Taliban met the preconditions. Uh, and they said they were stuck with that. Well, the answer to that's no. I, I don't know what level planning the Trump administration had done by then. I wasn't there anymore. But if President Biden and his advisors didn't think they were ready to carry out the withdrawal, what, what they very easily could have done was say to the Taliban, we're not ready. We're going to postpone this for six months. And if the Taliban didn't like it, that's their problem, not our problem. And how many times has the Biden administration walked away from a Trump policy because they said they were under no obligation to so go forward with it. For example, the no, Remain in Mexico policy. Blind. 
Yeah, there, there are a whole bunch of them, and, and particularly in foreign policy, there's, there's no doubt uh, a president can't bind a future president if American national security is at stake, if the lives of American citizens and our allies, and if, if they came in and their honest evaluation was that the plans were not adequate or no plans at all. Then postpone implementation of the agreement. Thank you so much for coming on, and thank you for standing up for our country, and thank you for telling the truth, and God bless you. And have a great weekend. Have a good, great Easter weekend. Well, happy Easter and happy Passover to everybody. I'll see you again soon. Thank, thank you, you thank Ambassador. You. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Rita, I understand we have our good friend Gordon Chang on. Yep, indeed. We have a great Asia expert and great foreign policy. Gordon Chang, his Twitter handle is Gordon G. Chang. Uh, Gordon, let's just hop right to what this amazing clip that we just heard from John. The full interview is going to be on the Cats Roundtable Sunday, as you just heard. But it, it dovetails on the other big news today that Russia has formally charged the Wall Street Journal reporter. Um, how complex does it make it, um, you know, with what's going on with Russia, now China. Uh, give us your sense of all this, Gordon Chang. Well, Vladimir Putin is taking hostages. And when the United States devotes a lot of effort to try to free one, he just takes another. So we've got to stop this cycle. You know, as much as we would like to have seen Brittany Griner freed, what she did, uh, what uh, Biden did by freeing her is paving the way for the taking of other Americans. We need to get all Americans out of Russia And we probably should do the same thing with China because China's been taking hostages as well. And they are now holding Americans, which uh, is basically the same as what uh, the ex-Soviets are doing in in Russia. Wait, how many Americans is is China having, uh, holding? There's about three or four um, who've been taken under um, very suspicious circumstances. And, of course, the most famous hostage situation were the two Michaels who were taken in December 2018, just after Canada detained Meng Wanzhou, the chief financial officer of Huawei, at the request of the Trump administration, because she was involved, apparently, in uh, busting American sanctions on Iran. So, really, uh, China has no compunction in all of this. They don't uh, agree. They don't adhere to their um obligations under diplomatic treaties. So it's not safe for Americans in China, just as like it's not safe for Americans in Russia. Gordon, it's uh, Richard Weinberg. Good to have you back on the show. As I read the articles and I'm about this and I'm listening to you, it seems to me what we've done is we've created a cottage industry for hostage taking and we're negotiating against ourselves on a constant basis. All they have to do is grab an American and then they have something to trade for to be eased up on sanctions or let uh, one of their spies loose. In fact, in today's Wall Street Journal, Gordon, first page story is there's an office just dealing with hostage taking led by an ambassador of the United States. What do you think about this? I mean, this is just wrong. Um, I mean, we know that this dynamic occurs, and yet we continue to try to free Americans in circumstances where they should not have been going to Russia in the first place. Um, and so really what we're at the point at, uh, we just need to get Americans out of some of these extremely dangerous countries because we should not be um, undermining American national security to free Americans who went to countries where they know they shouldn't have gone in the first place. You know, Gordon, what do you make of all the like rhetoric that's coming from China? They are, of course, upset uh, that 
We have members of Congress, including the House Speaker, who met with Taiwan's president. We also know um, McCall is over there now in Taiwan. Uh, where do you see all of this going? Because they sent the ships, the Chinese ships, around Taiwan. Uh, they say they are furious. Yeah. Well, they've sanctioned um, a couple of institutions, Hudson Institute, uh, the Reagan Library, and, and that's Kabuki. Um, but uh, the Fujian Provincial Maritime Administration has announced a three-day exercise in which they will board ships on the high seas. Now, if the United States has had any consistent foreign policy over two and a half centuries, it's been the defense of freedom of navigation. So what China is doing in the Taiwan Strait right now is a direct challenge, not only to the United States, but to this whole concept of an open world. So it is critical to see what Biden will do if indeed they uh, aboard a ship. Is it getting a critical time or they're just playing with each other? You know, a a lot of people in America think that the Chinese are just playing, uh, including, uh, for instance, uh, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And clearly that's the attitude in the State Department and the Oval Office. But one of these incidents could go very wrong. And so even if the Chinese were just playing, this is extremely dangerous. Now, I don't think the Chinese are just playing. Um, you got to go back and look at patterns in history. I mean, how many times in history has a militant regime embarked on a fast militarization and not launched a war of aggression? I can't think of any. That's exactly what the Chinese are doing right now. And so we need to be prepared for what is evidently coming. But we've got a political class and a Pentagon that doesn't seem to think that this is such a big deal. Gordon, it's even worse than that because you had the White House yesterday taking a victory bow, bragging about what a great job they did in uh, leaving Afghanistan. I mean, I thought that was one of the most shameful performances I've ever seen. What do you think? And by the way, I also think it emboldens. It was such a sign. That whole withdrawal was such a disaster. Kirby actually said it wasn't chaotic, and he was proud of the way they handled it. What say you, Gordon? Yeah, this is Baghdad, Bob. Um, This is the worst propaganda that we have seen. Because the Biden administration, I think, would have done itself a credit if it just acknowledged what was obvious, that they made a mistake. Now, obviously, they don't think they made a mistake, which is even worse. But clearly, this was a chaotic withdrawal. Clearly, this was not in the interest of anybody except for the Taliban. And we have an administration that will not say what is clear. This is the emperor has no clothes and it has real consequences. Well, Gordon, uh, have a, a happy Easter weekend. And are you do you celebrate Easter? I celebrate Easter. I'm a Protestant in a family of Catholics. So I actually observed Lent this year. I gave up my favorite food. And I am so looking forward to the end of today. <laughs> well, have a good Friday. Gordon, have, we love uh, you. Thank you. We love you. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Yeah. Happy Easter, guys. And thank you thank so you. much. I thank really you. appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Catch Roundtable. If you missed any interviews, go to thecatchroundtable.com or go to wabcradio.com. Go to the podcast. Get those segments that you missed. Have a nice Sunday.